Welcome to Private Club Radio, your weekly source for industry education, news and discussion. Broadcasting from Tampa, Florida, ladies and gentlemen, here is your host, Gabriel Aloisi. Good to be back with you here on Monday morning. As always, the sun is shining bright here in my office and I'm alive and it's good to be here with you. Thank you for spending 30 minutes or so with me today. Maybe go a little longer today, actually. We have two fantastic guests. Stephen Jubb joins us from the National Alliance for Accessible Golf. We'll be talking about the alliance and the importance of getting your club accessible to those who are disabled, like myself right now, still trying to recover from the broken leg. It's about a month and a half in now. And it's just been very, very difficult. I've had setback after setback. And I was back to a cane this weekend, walking with a cane again after I had stopped using the cane. Now it's back. But I'm still a long way from being able to play some golf. So I have a special empathy for today's topic. We're also going to be joined by Brad Steele of the National Club Association. Brad's going to go over the upcoming election cycle and break down a few of the key races that you should be looking out for. It's going to be a really entertaining episode. We're going to have Stephen up right after this message. Want to learn Gabe's secrets for social media success? He's sharing his best tips and little-known hacks to develop and close more membership prospects online. And best of all, it's 100% free for private club radio listeners. To join him on the next social media masterclass, sign up at privateclubradio.com slash social. Well, I'm joined today by CEO and Executive Director of the National Alliance for Accessible Golf, Mr. Steve Jubb. Steve, welcome to Private Club Radio. Uh, Glad to be with you all today. Yeah, so you've got an interesting background. I'd love for you to take us through your background. I know you were head professional at Boca West uh, you've been involved in a number of organizations. Can you take us through a little bit of your background, Steve? Uh, yes. Uh, when I was about, well, I can give you, it's uh, surprising that I'm still involved with the game of golf if you go back to age 13. A friend of mine, I had just moved into Winter Park, Florida with my fam- my parents, and a uh, kid across the street said, you want to go play golf? I said, I don't play golf. He said, well, you can use my mom's clubs. We're going over to Dubstred Country Club here in Orlando. We're going to play uh, on Saturday. So his parents drove us over there. I'm driving up the driveway, and I'm seeing all these banners and things like that. I said, what did you sign me up for? It turned out to be the National Pee Wee Golf Championship. I'd never played golf before. I shot 159. I thought it was the most stupidest game I ever came across. And I didn't touch another club until I got out of the Air Force uh, at age uh, 22. Uh, And went to work, oddly enough, at a golf course um, in Winter Park and uh, got involved in the game of golf. And my game had drastically improved from the 159. Uh, and, uh, started playing amateur golf in the state of Florida, eventually, uh, graduated with a teaching degree from what's now known as university of central Florida and decided not to go into the education system, but, uh, went to work for Walt Disney world. Uh, I was golf manager and golf professional at Walt Disney world, uh, until 1978. 
uh, at which time I became uh, ex- head prof- professional at Boca West and Boca Raton, uh, followed up by running the New Jersey section as golf executive director for the PGA office in New Jersey, and then came in 1989 to the headquarters in Palm Beach Gardens for the PGA of America, overseeing their 41 sections and ultimately running their charitable foundation for them, which today is known as PGA Reach. And along the way, uh, especially at PGA of America, I became involved with getting golf out to people with disabilities to make sure that they have access to the game of golf, that golf can really do wonders for people with disabilities and getting them out of the house, getting them out of hospital rehab facility, out to a green grass space and playing with their peers, their friends, their family and engaging in the sport. And so I've been involved with uh, that segment of golf and development of golf ever since. Uh, I'm the head rules official and competition director for Special Olympics both USA and internationally. So I oversee the competitions for Special Olympics, both on the U.S. and the World Games for Special Olympics. In March, we're going to Abu Dhabi uh, to conduct the uh, World Games, which will be an interesting trip. That's awesome. That's fantastic. Yeah, I've um, I've done a lot of uh, volunteering for the Special Olympics myself. That's a, that's a cause that's near and dear to my heart. And I've got a lot of empathy right now for people who are disabled because I'm a little bit disabled, nothing like others out there, but I, you know, a lot of our listeners know I broke my leg about a month back and the recovery had some hiccups here. And so I won't be playing any golf for quite some time. Uh, normally I should say, so, uh, on standing on two legs. So I've got a lot of empathy for it. So I'd love to hear about the national Alliance for accessible golf. And let's talk a little bit first about your mission. Uh, the mission, uh, quite concisely is to, uh, ensure that people can engage in the experience of the game of golf, uh, people with disabilities, that is. And our goal is to work with grassroots programs, with the national organizations, such as the National Club Association, uh, the National Golf Course Owners Association, PGA of America, et cetera, to ensure that members of those organizations or facilities that fall under their auspices uh, know how to welcome people with disabilities, how to engage them, get them involved in our game. Uh, because, as I said early on, the experience of the game of golf and what golf can bring to them, as I always use the tagline, can definitely improve life. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about the importance of accessibility and cl- inclusion in the game itself. Why is that such an important issue? Well, the... People with disabilities do not want to be segregated. They don't want to be put off in right field, so to speak, um, or out in the rough, if we want to use a golf term, uh, hypothetically. Uh, they want to be included with people. They want to go down the fairway with people without disabilities and play the game. They want to be welcomed at facilities uh, because, aside from that's the right thing to do for anybody, is to welcome them to the game of golf. But they also have disposable income from a club perspective. It makes sense to uh, include them in their memberships and in their uh, outreach that they do in the community to include them and get them involved at their facilities, at their clubs, 
to uh, engage those individuals with the game of golf. Uh, the disposable income, uh, they will buy green space. They will pay for something at the 19th hole, so to speak. Uh, so it makes sense uh, from that perspective. A lot of the clubs that fall under the National Club Association are private clubs, but at the same token, they have members that have a, that may have had a stroke. They may have had some other debilitating uh, injuries that they've incurred. It makes a sense from the private club sector to also reach out and include people that have disabilities in their programs and their facility. Uh, so, uh, because it's the right thing to do, first off, it makes sense from a business perspective. And what we're seeing more and more in society is the acceptability of people with disabilities mainstreamed in the in life and in our case the game of golf yeah i would love to see see more of this happening and you guys are doing such a wonderful work from what i've read on your website and articles that have come across my way on social media it seems like it's some amazing stuff how can clubs be more welcoming to individuals with disabilities steve well, if you look at it from the private club sector, as I said earlier, I think that they're within their membership, they probably do have people that have had debilitating injuries or whatever, and they have a disability, reach out to them. From a public sector perspective, uh, they need to reach out into the community to, whether it's a rehab facility, whether it is um, a hospital, whether it may be organizations that serve a particular uh, segment of disability, uh, whether that's Special Olympics, whether that's uh, people that uh, target autism, for example, which is becoming more and more prevalent in our country, uh, reaching out to those organizations because they may have never thought about using the game of golf from a therapeutic recreation or rehabilitative standpoint. Uh, but it, as I said earlier, can really be a very beneficial thing to include in those organizations' programming and invite them out to the club and open up your facilities to uh, these organizations that uh, are looking for a way to engage people in different sports, in our case, the game of golf. What are some of the resources that your organization provides to clubs to assist with accessibility and inclusion for disabled persons out there? Well, our primary uh, resource is our grant program. Uh, in 2010, the United States Golf Association closed their foundation out in Colorado Springs, and they, at that time, were doing grants to programs, facilities at the grassroots level that were doing accessible and inclusive type of programming uh, and getting people with disabilities into the game of golf. They transferred the responsibility of that grant program over to the National Alliance for Accessible Golf, and we took it over. We have a grant committee that meets and reviews the applications that come in. It's funded by the United States Golf Association. And on since 2010, we've awarded almost $1 million out to grassroots programs uh, to help them with instructional costs, uh, course access costs, well, that could be greens fees, it could be uh, range costs, uh, it could be uh, adaptive equipment, uh, including what's now known as single rider adaptive golf cars uh, for people, especially those with 
uh, lower extremity immobility that can't walk the golf course. These carts allow them to get around a golf course and to uh, play the game of golf. During your time with the organization, what is the biggest impact that you've made? Or can you give us a story of some of the life-changing things that you've done for folks out there? Probably the biggest impact that we've seen has been with uh, some of the organizations. There's one uh, called VIA Services, VIA Services. Uh, They target individuals with disability in the community, and they never thought about using golf as part of their programming. And all of a sudden, when they included golf, they got a grant. They've gotten several grants from us for their programming. It's really exploded. They're reaching out into the community. More and more people are getting engaged, and families are getting engaged. There's a couple of cases where an individual was not willing to leave the house, and they got the individual out of the house with their family and got them engaged on the golf course in the game of golf, and now they go out and play together on Saturdays or on the weekday, uh, whenever, as a family unit whereas they were kind of separated as a family unit prior to that time frame. Uh, and, and I've seen that also with <clears throat> not necessarily a program that we run because we're, we're not into actually running grassroots programs, but we help provide resources, grant funding, et cetera, to the grassroots programs. But when I was at PGA of America, we, I started a program called PGA Hope, which targets people, uh, veterans with disabilities, uh, and getting them engaged in the game of golf. Uh, since I left the PGA and started as CEO and executive director of the National Alliance in 2015, um, that program has really expanded across this country. One particular case that I always remember back to is uh, we started a PGA Hope program at Fort Sam Houston in San Antonio which is adjacent to Brooks Army Medical Center. And we had uh, patients coming over that day from Brooks Army Medical Center uh, that wanted to participate in the startup of this program. Everybody got off the bus and they went out at the range. Their last person coming out had to be carried off because he was a double amputee uh, above the knee uh, and had not been fitted out for prosthesis yet. And you could tell immediately he did not want to be there. And so I made him my student for the day. I got him out on the range. We put him into an adaptive golf car and I gave him a few pointers. And the first shot he hit goes 180 yards down the range. And this guy that didn't want to be there, he was mad at the world because of what had happened to him overseas. All of a sudden, this big smile came over his face Mm. uh, because he hit a golf ball. Right. Uh, and he came up to me after I had been working with him that day on the range. Uh, and, uh, he said, Mr. Jubb, he said, I am so glad I came out here today. I didn't really want to be here. I thought even about committing suicide based on the injuries and the disabilities I incurred by serving this country in the Middle East. But I found out something today that when I go back home to Iowa, I can play the game of golf. I can play with my family, my friends, and there's meaning in my life. I, I can do something that I didn't think I was ever going to be able to do ever again. 
And I did some follow-up with him afterwards and found out that he's actually employed at a golf course. And so that shows that the game of golf can improve and change lives. Wow, that's really powerful. It's, it's got to make you happy to walk into uh, your next meeting when, you, when you've got stories like that to tell. Steve, if folks want to find out more about the National Alliance of Accessible Golf, your website is accessgolf.org. What will they find there on that website, accessgolf.org? Well, they'll find out exactly, you know, what we do. You'll find that all the allied associations of golf from the PGA Tour, the OPGA, PGA of America, USGA, the National Club Association, et cetera, are part of our board of directors. We have the grant information there. If you're running a facility and a program and you're looking how can we get people with disabilities engaged in programming in the game of golf, all the information about the grant program is there. We have two toolkits that are on that website under resources. One is for the facility operator on how to make your facility more accommodating and accessible. And the other is for individuals with disability. How do you engage in the game of golf? Um, we have other resources from best practices, videos, articles. Uh, we have some blogs out there, uh, including my monthly blog that I write on behalf of the National Alliance. And so it's an all-encompassing resource center for people with disabilities or for facilities and programs that want to engage people with disabilities. Yep. It sounds like an incredible work that you guys are doing, and I hope our listeners will come and be a part of that. Once again, check out their website, accessgolf.org. Steve, thank you so much for joining me today on Private Club Radio. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. And now it's time for Club Perspectives, presented by the National Club Association. I'm joined today by Brad Steele. He's the Vice President of Government Relations and General Counsel for the NCA. Brad, I want to talk to you first about the midterm elections coming up. I know that's on your minds there in Washington, D.C. and a lot of folks around the country. So what are some of the main races, the main campaigns that we should be looking out for? Sure, yeah, it's an interesting uh, interesting time. Certainly, I know that uh, most of your listeners have heard from uh, any one of their, their news sources that, boy, there's a potential for a, a big blue wave to come crashing down on the House of Representatives, which would mean then that there could be a change in the majority from Republicans to Democrats. And certainly from a club perspective, we've consistently found a far more sympathetic lower chamber of Congress uh, when it's in control of uh, a pro-growth, pro-business, pro-club majority, and that's traditionally been Republicans. So we've had some very good opportunities for success on our legislative front while working with the chairman of committees who happen, again, to be Republicans. So we're looking at the races now to see exactly what might happen, what could happen, and to sort of see exactly why there's this discussion relating to that blue wave. And then ultimately, this is going to be a very, very sort of, I guess, from the Republicans' perspective, very hairy uh, race, to say the least. What's fascinating about sort of all of this is with 435 members of the House of Representatives, uh, uh, just a significant majority, over 90%, 95% of them, are going to get reelected, plain and simple. So really what we're coming down to is a, a number of maybe between 29 or so House seats that could flip. And if they flip, they then could ultimately change the majority in the House. Actually, there's basically a consensus that there are about 181 solid Democratic seats and about 
probably 21 more that they're going to be able to get either keep that's leaning their way, it's likely theirs, or that they really have a good chance of flipping. So that puts them at a total of 202 seats. And on the Republican side, there are about 153 solid Republican districts. Just can't, can't wedge those members out by any way, shape, or form. And that Republicans will likely have through those districts that lean Republican or likely Republican or might even flip to Republican, about 50 more seats. So that puts them at about, well, believe it or not, 204. So you've got 202 Democratic seats expected and 204 Republican seats. Well, even a crazy lawyer like me can do math. That's 406. 406 from 435 means, surprise, you've got 29 seats in the House of Representatives that will ultimately make the difference. They will determine what party is in control. What's really kind of unfortunate for the majority party is out of those 29 seats, 27 are held by Republicans. (laughs) So if you need 218, that's half plus one of the uh, House of Representatives. And uh, Democrats are going to be at 202, Republicans at 204. That means 14 and 16 seats, respectively, to reach that magic 218 number to gain control. Well, wow. If Republicans have 27 seats that they currently hold that are now true toss-ups, uh, well, you can see why everybody's sweating. And indeed, yeah. that's, uh, that's, that's kind of an interesting reality for us in the private club world and at the National Club Association because some of those folks uh, who are sweating – our good friends of the National Club Association, uh, folks we've supported in the past and who have certainly supported us. I'll give you, give you one example that uh, we can start with. Uh, in uh, Illinois Congressional District, uh, District Number 6, happens to be held by Representative Peter Roskam. Peter Roskam is a Republican. He's been there for six terms, which means 12 years. Uh, he's well-established in the community, is well-liked, and ultimately is well-known. There are no ifs, ands, or buts about that. And interestingly enough, guess what happened in 2016? Well, he won his re-election race by 19 percentage points. So pretty solid wow. Republican yeah, district, folks big. would think. I mean, he seems pretty, pretty confident that he's going to get re-elected. What was uh, a little unfortunate for him is that uh, Secretary Hillary Clinton also won his district, <laughs> and she won it by seven percentage points. So that means quite a number of those uh, voters for Representative Roskam supported the Democratic candidate for president rather than President Trump. Now, he still won. He still had 19%. They still like him. But the question now becomes, and this is what's causing all these political pundits to talk about a blue wave, is if that's a district that the Republican congressman won re-election to, but the Democratic presidential candidate won, what's going to happen if they put a like-minded sort of mirror image in that district running as a Democratic candidate for Congress. And that's what's happened. They've nominated in Illinois District 6 a gentleman by the name of Sean Caston. Sean Caston, believe it or not, is a molecular biologist and a biochemical engineer. So he ain't dumb. Yeah, smart guy. <laughs> and uh, he's a founder of several clean energy producing businesses, which means he's an environmentalist and focused on those kinds of issues, business producer, created jobs. So an attractive candidate, right? Kind of makes sense if you're coming up an incumbent congressman who's a Republican, enjoys to promote business and job creation to put someone who's smart and a job creator against him. That's exactly what's happened. Uh, Mr. Kasten has raised a significant amount of money, and by so doing, he's made himself exceptionally credible. And in addition, 
he's now been able to really draw a lot of support from outside those super PACs that everybody hears about, outside organizations that support his candidacy. I think, without a doubt, Illinois 6 is probably the most important race out of those 29 toss-up races uh, that are out there. Because that's exactly the district that Democrats must flip to gain the number of seats they need, those 16 seats that they're going to need to then become the majority party. Peter Roskam has been a very, very strong supporter of NCA. As a matter of fact, two years ago, when we were in Chicago for our national club conference, many of your listeners heard him as he was a keynote speaker for us. Yeah, I remember we supported that. Him. Mm-hmm. Great guy. Supported him from uh, our club pack. Uh, supported him then and supported him this year. Uh, and when we talk about how difficult the race is, uh, he's also had Vice President Mike Pence come out to his district to support him. Now, you know, between you and me, you don't send out the vice president of the United States unless there's a problem. Yeah, that's the big guns. <laughs> exactly. Yep. <laughs> the, only, the only person left is uh, is Donald Trump. And the reason why the president has not gone out is because, obviously, Donald Trump lost that district in 2016. So this is really the next best thing. Uh, so it, it's going to be a fascinating time as Representative Roskam continues to fight through this particular battle uh, that he's got in front of him. When I uh, had the chance to see him I think this was about a month and a half ago at one of his events. He said, look, we're we're excited. We've expected a a tough race ever since the 2016 election when he saw the numbers and that Hillary Clinton had won. He knew that this western Chicago land district, very suburban, was going to be right in the sort of the wheelhouse of Democrats to to come after. And, And he's prepared. He's raised the money necessary, continues to raise the money necessary. But this really election is all going to be about sort of turnout, and, and turnout is based on interest, right? A lot of those folks who supported Representative Roskam came out because it was a presidential election year. Uh, though 7% you know, of that district voted for the winning margin was 7% for Hillary Clinton, and 19% was a winning margin for him. A lot of folks came out because it was a presidential race, right? I mean, that's why you come out. At the end of the day, now they've got to come out for an off-year, midterm election, and in a climate that really isn't conducive for a lot of Republicans in suburban areas, especially in areas where Hillary Clinton won. So it's, it's really now going to be coming down to both sides have the same money, both have the same kind of energetic candidate, but at the end of the day, who's going to bring out voters? Who's going to make that trek? Who's excited to go into that voting booth and pull that lever, and certainly for the private club industry, with a strong supporter of our issues like Peter Roskam, we hope that the voters in Illinois 6 vote for their incumbent congressman. But that's going to be the key, and uh, a lot of that has to do with the, the comfort people have regarding the political environment. Uh, and uh, you know, that's really where we where we are. It's a fascinating race, interesting time, and it's certainly one that I think will be the the paradigm for whether this is truly a blue wave. Or is not a blue wave. The bellwether, uh, again, if you will. Absolutely. So uh, as your uh, sort of listeners are, are sitting on the couch, or hopefully they're not wonk and geeked out like me sitting on the couch on November 6th watching the election returns, but if they are, <laughs> that's great. Uh, and uh, and, and that's, that's a race that they should be watching for, Illinois 6, uh, because it's really going to be, it's gonna be the, 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 the sort of the kingpin understanding how a large of a margin Hillary Clinton had and her victory and, and indeed what will be the turnout? Will all of his supporters 
come back out again? Or will some of them sort of sit on their hands and say, you know, Washington, D.C. sucks. It's just not fun anymore. Uh, you know, it's not as good as it could be. Uh, and we're not comfortable with the direction of leadership in Washington. So I'm not interested in coming out to vote. Since it's their man, that would be a reason for them to stay home, right? And it's not necessarily because of Representative Roscombe, but it's just the whole dynamic in Washington. I think we all can understand that there's a little frustration sometimes in what's going on in D.C. And, uh, and that's going to be the, the, the ultimate factor, is if he can get him out to, uh, to come out and support him, Rather than, gee, this is what's going on in Washington, and and don't you know, don't worry about that. Worry about me. And right. if they they worry about Representative Roscom. They'll come out and they'll support him. If they don't, if they want to send a message, then that blue wave may be coming. So keep an eye on Illinois Six and Representative Peter Roscom R O S K A M, and his race. Okay, absolutely. Any other ones? I mean, we can't go into so much detail probably about each candidate, but sure. are there a few other uh, elections out there that people should be keeping an eye on? Yeah, I really take a look at uh, Texas 32. Texas 32 is with Representative Pete Sessions, who is, believe it or not, a 22-year member of the House of Representatives. So a long-time, strong, strong man uh, in Texas. This is, again, another suburban area. So it's Dallas. Uh, and he's got running against him a Democrat uh, by the name of Colin Allred, who was a former special assistant in the, uh, health, or, sorry, the Housing and Urban Development Department in the Obama administration. So he's got some interesting sort of government background work and perspective and, and probably more interesting to his uh, constituents or prospective constituents is that he's a former NFL football player. And we all know that in Dallas, Texas, football is God. So uh, oh, he's yeah. going to have a, he's got a lot of, uh, a lot of interest that's surrounding him. Why did he run in a race where he's got an 11 term, 22 year uh, member of Congress as a Republican and he's running against? Well, because Hillary Clinton won that district as well by 2%. What's really crazy about this particular race is that Peter, uh, Peter uh, uh, Pete Sessions actually won his race in 2016 by, get this, 52 percentage points. Whoa. There was no Democratic candidate. There were just two minor party candidates who ran. So the Democrats didn't even look at that district as being viable. And now, in this political environment, again, in a suburb of a major uh, metropolitan area, uh, they've got a credible Democratic candidate up against an incumbent Republican who has, once again, been sort of forced to have Vice President Pence come down for a visit to bolster his campaign. So that's another one, Texas 32. Uh, I, you know, if that one goes, if an 11-term Pete Sessions goes, if that district flips, it isn't a blue wave, it'll be a blue tsunami. Mm, wow. Okay. So, one to um, watch as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know there's a, there's everyone's gonna be glued to the television. I'm sure in November when this happens, and <laughs> no, people are already starting to go to the that, polls. Something's and definitely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that I think they will be, um, and I know uh, the polls are already starting to open in some states. I think the early voting starting just started maybe uh, when this airs, probably about a, a couple weeks ago in some states. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely exciting times, Brad. I really appreciate uh, you breaking those campaign races down for us. And I want to encourage folks to check out the NCA webinar series, which continues. Um, Brad, where do they find out a little bit more information about the webinars and, and get some more education the NCA is putting on? Sure, that's uh, www.nationalclub.org. You can go there, click on education. On a drop-down menu, we've got uh, one from our good friends at Conan O'Meara, McGinty, and Donnelly uh, that will be on September 12th. 
and I think it's September 26th, that's right, uh, that we'll also have one for general managers who are in the process of renegotiating their contract and how best to get a deal that works for both the board, the club, and for you as a GM. So good, uh, good places to go. Hopefully everyone has had a good and enjoyable summer, and uh, the pools have all closed. I yeah. can hear your, your listeners screaming, yay, thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> so that's all done. And they can now focus on uh, getting back into the webinar uh, series, and we, we look forward to having them uh, join. Yep, the conference series begins. Brad, I appreciate it. I, uh, thank you so much for coming on. Private Club Radio once again with us here on Club Perspectives, and we'll talk to you soon. Happy to do it. Take care. Bye-bye. To learn more about the National Club Association, please visit nationalclub.org. That's going to do it for today's episode. Once again, it was wonderful to have you. If you are a first-time listener or you're just getting started with this show, make sure you join us over on Facebook at the Private Club Radio Listeners Forum. All you got to do is search for Private Club Radio in the Facebook search bar and we'll come up. It's a private group, but we'd love to have you. Until next week, here's to your membership success. Private Club Radio is brought to you by Concert Golf Partners helping to preserve and enhance private golf and country clubs. Concert Golf has the capital, expertise and private club hospitality experience to help upscale private clubs achieving long-term success and membership growth. For 25 years, Concert Golf has allowed private club members to focus on simply enjoying their club. Visit ConcertGolfPartners.com to learn more about the recapitalization process.